Welcome to What Does This Mean? A discussion of the Bible texts that are assigned in many Christian churches, including the Lutheran Church, for this upcoming Sunday. Today we begin our entry into Holy Week in a year that I suspect will bring all of us into Jesus' story in a profoundly new way. Welcome to What Does This Mean? I'm Pastor Bradley Schmeling. I'm Pastor Lois Palmeyer. And I'm Pastor Javen Swanson. We're the pastors of Glory Day Lutheran Church in St. Paul, Minnesota, and for the next few minutes are going to be talking about some of the scripture texts for this Sunday. For us, it's a wonderful chance to kind of immerse ourselves in the words and get ready for Sunday And particularly in this time of pandemic and uncertainty, it's just another opportunity for us to be in God's word and to find a place to center ourselves and hear maybe some messages that we need to get us through the day. As I mentioned, we're about to enter Holy Week, which I think is going to be different than any other year we've ever experienced. At Glory Day, we're trying to figure out how to plan online worship services in a week where there are many rituals that seem to rely on being in the same room together, but we're going to try to figure out how to do those across our distance and, and keep connected. But more importantly, to try to walk in the footsteps of Jesus. Holy Week has always been this time where we enter into the story of Jesus' suffering, death, and resurrection. And particularly on Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday morning, we walk through the details of his last days, not as something that happened far in the past, but something that still has meaning for us today. And I think we're going to hear these in a whole new way this year. As we've been doing, we've invited special guests to be with us to talk about the readings. And today we have invited Susan Davis Ali. Susan, it's so great to have you here. Thanks. It's great to be here. Why don't you tell us a little bit about who you are? Sure. So I'm Susan. I was born and raised in Cincinnati, Ohio. I'm a Minnesota transplant. Yay. (laughs) Shout out to Cincinnati. Um, We moved here 28 years ago with my husband, and we now have a 20-year-old daughter who is at Oberlin College um, and a 16-year-old son who is a sophomore at Highland Park High School. And for fun, I work. I love my work. It is my um, hobby and my passion. And I do coaching for women in technology. So I was raised a good, strong feminist and have sort of continued that work really supporting women in their passion. And I always say um, I get to be paid to be a cheerleader is really what my job is. And it's the best job. Great. And what kind of things do you do around Gloria Day? 
Well, I sit on the Council of Gloria Day, um, and my favorite thing that I do is I am part of the Social Justice and Outreach Committee. I have deep passion for social justice and outreach and love spending time with other people at Gloria Day who are trying to figure out how do we do that in a bigger and bolder way. Well, we're really glad that you're with us. Why don't we jump into the readings for today? Our first reading for Sunday is from Isaiah chapter 50, verses 4 through 9a, which again means we're just reading the first part of verse 9. The Lord God has given me the tongue of a teacher, that I may know how to sustain the weary with a word. Morning by morning he wakens, wakens my ear to listen as those who are taught. The Lord God has opened my ear, and I was not rebellious, I did not turn backward. I gave my back to those who struck me, and my cheeks to those who pulled out the beard. I did not hide my face from insult and spitting. The Lord God helps me, therefore I have not been disgraced. Therefore I have set my face like flint, and I know that I shall not be put to shame. He who vindicates me is near, Who will contend with me? Let us stand up together. Who are my adversaries? Let them confront me. It is the Lord God who helps me. Who will declare me guilty? Well, I would say that this reading, it's a real punch in the gut. It's a reading that is hopeful, but also has such great sadness about the suffering. God helps during suffering. It's very clear that that's the message here. But why does there need to be so much suffering for God to be present? Well, thank you for starting out with such an easy question, (laughs) (laughs) which is the perennial question that we all have is, why is there suffering and pain? And even in this time, I just had a conversation recently with someone who was asking, why why isn't God protecting us from this virus? If God loves us, why doesn't God just stop it? And uh, I ended up saying, I, I'm not sure I have the answer to that question, that the presence of Sickness, illness is as much a mystery to me as any of this. But somehow in the midst of it, I have faith that God is at work in it. God's not causing suffering so that love and grace can be revealed in the world, but manages to turn suffering toward something deeper and move us into love and life. It's hard to know what the answer to that question is, Susan, but I also think there are some bad answers to that question. And I think one bad answer is, well, everything happens for a reason. I remember being a hospital chaplain in seminary and uh, it was my summer job. And I remember someone had been struck and killed by a drunk driver and I was meeting with their family. They kept saying, we know everything happens for a reason. And Of course, I didn't feel like it was really my place to tell them, no, you're wrong. That's terrible theology. (laughs) But in my head, I was thinking, no, you're wrong. That's terrible theology. Um, Sometimes bad things happen and God does not will them 
and God grieves with us when they happen. And yet, as Pastor Bradley said, I do think sometimes in the midst of suffering is when we experience God's grace most profoundly. Maybe that's not the reason it happened. Like maybe bad things don't happen so that we can experience goodness. But I do think there is something true about how we do experience God's goodness in the wake of suffering. And I like how the the servant in Isaiah is prepared for suffering. Is not is not set aside to be a servant for God so that he or she can lead in such a way that they are, you know, protected from all kinds of pain, protected from all kinds of sorrow or trials. But instead, the leader is wakened each morning to say, it's rough out there. <laughs> it's rough in here. And I will open your ear. I will prepare you. I will set you up so that you look suffering straight on and say, God is still good in the midst of my suffering. God is still good in the midst of our suffering as people. Sometimes we think maybe the suffering servant was the whole people of Israel to say, God is still with us. Even while we're suffering, We God has not abandoned us. God is one who understands suffering and is with us in our suffering. Um, maybe we need to hear that right now more than anything. That's maybe a good place for us to pause and to move to our second reading. Let's take a little break. Welcome back. Our second reading is Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11. Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited, but emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, being born in human likeness, And being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God also highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bend in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Are we to be obedient to death, or does our, does our way to heaven come through grace and through the fact that Jesus was obedient? So what is this telling me about my obedience? I'd say yes to your question, <laughs> both of those. Jesus invites us to be of the same mind uh, as he is, as you know, let the same mind be in you that was in you, so that we become part of God's story. And as God experienced suffering and death, this is similar to the first, the first reading where you asked, you know, why do we have to have suffering? 
you know, where is God in that? Jesus is in that suffering. Jesus empties himself and invites us to recognize we will suffer in our lives. We will also empty ourselves in some beautiful way as we are emptied, as we are um, on the cross of whatever that experience is for us. God is with us. God has experienced the same. And God is going to also bring us life in the midst of that somehow. That it's part of our story to join in God's love and, and God's love suffers. And that's where we also experience God's grace. It's not like, unless you suffer, God's not going to give you grace. God's grace comes to us all the time. And God's grace comes to us in spite of the suffering. One of the things this passage and the one before it has me thinking about is Walter Wink, who is a theologian and author, and he wrote this great book. Um, Actually, it was a trilogy, but then he condensed it into a single volume called The Powers That Be. And his whole point is that in accepting suffering and, and having those who are oppressors oppress us, we're actually sort of turning that we're, we're shining a spotlight on injustice. And in a way, we're turning the tables, like the whole turn the other cheek thing is a way of the whole world sees this person has just slapped you and now they're going to slap you again. It's like, or this person has already had their shirt taken away and you're going to take their pants too. You know, it's just like, it, it ends up sort of shining a spotlight on the injustice. And in that way, we end up changing the world because it has a it has the impact of turning the tables and making injustice blatantly visible to everyone. And I've always really resonated with that message because it actually becomes a social justice message then that it's not just suffering for, you know, like, well, even in the midst of suffering, God is present to us. It's actually like there's power in the suffering because it it shines the spotlight on the injustice of it. This is, I mean, this is the strategy of, of Gandhi and Martin Luther King Jr. is by nonviolent social action, you are holding a mirror up so that the society has to see what it's really like. Like when you turn on the TV and saw the the dogs and the fire hoses in Birmingham, the whole nation saw the impact of racism through Jim Crow. And that by seeing that, it makes people have to grapple with it and do something differently. Let's take a little break there and we'll be back with the gospel reading. Welcome back. Our gospel reading for today is from Matthew chapter 21, verses 1 through 11. Interesting little side note before I read it. On 
Passion Sunday, which we sometimes call Palm Sunday, um, we actually have two readings from the gospel. This one, which comes at the beginning of the service, where we tell the story of the entrance into Jerusalem, and then a much longer gospel later in the service that tells the whole passion story. So on our podcast today, we're just dealing with the Matthew uh, story of the triumphal entry, which goes like this. When they had come near Jerusalem and had reached Bethphage at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, Go into the village ahead of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, just say this, The Lord needs them, and he will send them immediately. This took place to fulfill what had been spoken through the prophet, saying, Tell the daughter of Zion, Look, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put their cloaks on them, and he sat on them. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David! Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. When he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was in turmoil, asking, Who is this? The crowds were saying, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth in Galilee. Okay, what I'd love on this is some historical context. Because this is the part that trips me up on this. Part of the people seem to know who Jesus is. And then part of the city is saying, who is this? And so I'm just trying to get some notion of, in, in that time, how well known was Jesus? And was he known? We didn't have social media. <laughs> Couldn't tweet out that Jesus was coming. Um, so to me, there's, there's a, in my head, a, a disconnect of understanding between those who are saying, Hosanna to the son of David, and those who are saying, who is this? Well, I think one answer to that question might be that the people who know who Jesus is are the people who've been following him. And his following were the poor, uh, the meek, you know, could go through the Beatitudes and list all of those people. That Those are the people that were following Jesus. And it would maybe be surprising that among those communities— word w- would have spread that, hey, here's this this one that's coming who's actually on our side. Um, and maybe not a surprise that that word hadn't spread to the temple, to the Roman military garrison, and to those who who were in control. So in a way, this is setting up a clash kind of 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 leadership here, one one style of leader versus the style of leader that everybody already knew about through Rome and through the military. There's also a geographical piece to this, which is that Jesus's ministry began in Galilee, which was north of Jerusalem. It was like the northern part of Israel. And it was sort of this backwater. Like I grew up in rural northern Minnesota and sort of 
knew growing up that people in the cities thought of us as like hicks, like the hicks from up north. That's maybe a helpful analogy for this, that like the people in Jerusalem would have thought of the people from Galilee as like the hicks from up north. But Jesus has known all along he needs to confront the powers in Jerusalem. And so he's been on this march to Jerusalem um, and his followers from Galilee have been tagging along and So now he's finally coming into Jerusalem, and it makes sense that the people in power in Jerusalem wouldn't have known much about him because he was from this backwater place and his followers were all these like low-life nothings, and which is exactly the point, right? Well, you know, we tend to hear this story and think that it's kind of just this spontaneous eruption of tearing branches off trees or whatever. Um, But if you look at it, it's actually a kind of carefully orchestrated public action here. Jesus isn't uh, just haphazardly riding in. He's made plans for this. He's um, organized somebody to have the donkey ready for him. And even with a secret code, the Lord has need of it. And so they uh, they go, they get it, and he... Um, does this kind of action, which maybe was designed to point out the difference in what kind of world God is calling us to be part of. And I kind of like Jesus as this social activist in this way, that none of this is just a passive thing, that things just happen to Jesus. He really is inserting himself into the, quote-unquote, heart of the beast, you know, uh, to point out what it is and how it grinds people up. And he yearns for a society where people are fed and feel peace and take care of one another. I like that image. It reminds me of what we were just discussing when we were talking about the Philippians passage, but the sense of a social action, like Rosa Parks, they said, same thing. It wasn't that just one day she got on the bus and thought, I'm tired of sitting in the back. I'm going to sit where I want. It was orchestrated. They had prepared her. They had practiced. They had said, this is what's going to feel like if you sit up there. And she she said, okay, I'm, I want to do that. I'm ready. Um, but it, people knew that was the day or she was soon going to try it. And it feels like that's going on here too, that Jesus, you know, prepared his friends to say, I'm going to do this. And it's going to look like I'm mocking what it means to be a king. And that's because I am mocking their understanding of what it means to be uh, a powerful leader anointed by God. I'll show you what it really means to be a powerful leader anointed by God. And, you know, the stones won't be able to keep quiet. We get that line in one of the other texts, but the sense of I'm going to show the world what this ministry, what God's vision for the world really is. It's going to take the poor and the nobodies from the hicks, you know, all that, what Pastor David was saying, to to show the world where real power lies. And so the people in Jerusalem's like, who are you? What are you doing? What's this display? Why are you riding on that part of the bus? And Jesus says, you know, like this, just watch, watch what, what's going to happen here. I think one other thing to say about the historical context was this is happening right at the beginning of Passover, which is for the Jewish people today still, this many years later, it's a celebration of 
the um, being liberated from slavery in Egypt. And, um, and so that's what this, you know, the, they're coming up on a celebration of their liberation. And it's no accident that Jesus chooses that time to lead his little ragtag band of followers um, who have felt the oppression of the establishment um, that he leads them, like Pastor Bradley said, into the heart of the beast um, to and to stage a demonstration. And it's a really smart move on Jesus's part to time it with Passover. A couple years ago, the big rally about guns. It was after the Parkland shooting and people demonstrated all over the country and it was the same weekend as Palm Sunday and so I went down to the rally and there were a lot of people who had palm branches with them. I took a sign that said um, protesting since the first century um, to connect this entrance into Jerusalem to values that were being espoused at that rally, which was about putting down weapons and living peacefully with one another and limiting access to to firearms. And so Jesus has clearly knows that this is his preordained destiny from God, that this is his path, and he knows that. Do you think that people like Rosa Parks their path comes to them through God? Or do you think that there are other people who come to that path in a way that they would not say it comes through God? Well, again, I almost want to say, I think both, you know, God always is working through other people. I don't know that there's only one path and God, God has it in mind for us and says, then on Tuesday, you're going to wake up and decide to ride a bus. And then on Wednesday, this is going to happen. I don't know that it's that direct, but I think God is constantly urging all of us to work towards justice and reconciliation and is always giving us opportunities to do that. Sometimes we get it and we see it and we say, this is my chance. I'm going to do this right now. And I'm going to say a, a loving thing that might be bold and might be something I wouldn't normally be comfortable saying, but I feel empowered. I'm going to say that now. There probably were eight other days that week that I had a chance to do something like that. But God keeps giving me more and more opportunities. And maybe true for Jesus, too. Maybe he he recognized this day is the day I'm going to do this. And, and it wasn't so much that God had said on this one day at the beginning of Passover, this is the time you are going to do exactly this to fulfill blah, blah. Maybe it wasn't that direct. Maybe it was much more Jesus recognizing throughout his ministry, the the rejection he was facing is only proof that uh, the world is always trying to reject God's ways and always trying to reject justice, be on the side of injustice and oppression. And Jesus finally was at a point of his ministry and career and life to say, I'm not going to respond to it the way the culture expects me to. I'm going to respond in this new, new way that may be very, very dangerous for me, but I feel as if it's what God is saying, enter the suffering, uh, empty yourself. Again, like Philippians said, empty yourself and take this, the position of um, the, those who are most oppressed. God, I think, invites us to do that too. 
it's probably good to end with that kind of invitation to join this procession into Jerusalem, into Holy Week, and into life in this strange time of uh, disease and illness and all of our response to it. Susan, we're so glad that you joined us. Thank you so much for, for being here and for bringing your questions. We're really grateful. Thanks for inviting me. We're interested to hear what all of you think about these readings or about this discussion. Always feel free to drop us a note at pastors at gloriadaystpaul.org. Thank you to Paul D'Amico Carper for providing the music for us and to Marshall Saunders of Minnesota Podcasting for going above and beyond to bring these podcasts together with all of us uh, separated in different places, trying to keep ourselves and the community around us uh, safe from the virus. I think we're all trying to do our part right now. As we enter into Holy Week, we invite you to check out Gloria Day's website for our series of Holy Week services and our plans for Easter Sunday. We hope that you will join us and we can feel connected during these holy days, even though we are physically apart. God holds our hearts and our lives together, even in distance. Thank you so much for joining us today. And more than ever, know that God is with you, God loves you, and God will provide what you need for today. This has been What Does This Mean? A podcast created by Gloria Day Lutheran Church in St. Paul, Minnesota. You can find Gloria Day online at www.gloriadaystpaul.org. This podcast has been produced by Minnesota Podcasting. And they can be found online at www.mnpodcasting.com.